And we'll continue our series in the Psalms that we're in this summer. And I thought in the next few weeks, I'll cover some of these early Psalms. And Psalm 3 is our focus uh, today. So follow along with me as I read. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Let's pray together. Lord, as we continue to look at your word this morning, I pray you would encourage your people. Move by your spirit through the truth of your word that we all together would be refreshed in that reality that indeed you are Lord and you come to the aid and help of your people. So make it clear to us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In November 1950, China quietly entered the Korean War. They crossed the border of what is now North Korea at the Chosen Reservoir with a 120 to 150,000 troops. It was the dead of winter, and they surprised and surrounded a force of about 19,000 Marines. And it is the stuff of legend because the Marine commander, Louis Chesty Puller, said this to his men in that moment they were surrounded, horrible minus 20 degrees conditions. And they were going to have to fight their way out. He said this, Men, we are surrounded by the enemy. That means we have the greatest opportunity presented to any army. We can attack in any direction we choose. Where is that attitude among Christians today? Where is that boldness that courage that borders on bravado, the kind of courage a people have when they know a sovereign God who works all things according to their good, where is that attitude? Where is that attitude to say, yes, we might be surrounded? And we have to remember here, people are not our enemies, even people who hold views and beliefs that are that we would deeply disagree with. Ephesians 6 tells us, no, people are not our enemies. All people are made in the image of God, even when we disagree with their views. Instead, our enemies are the principalities, the powers, the dominions, which have deceived people and stand behind them. We learn that in Ephesians chapter 6. So in this spiritual battle that we're surrounded, where is that kind of courage? I would say we're a lot less, as Christians here, we're a lot less like Chesty Puller and the Marines 
who did fight their way out and eventually get evacuated, we're a lot more like Chicken Little, aren't we? Fear and anxiety overtake the evangelical church and Christians together, and we are more likely to wring our hands than get on our knees. How do we get back to that kind of courage? How do we find our way to this kind of boldness? How do we give up our fear, our anxiety, our selfishness, and our hyper-focus on making ourselves comfortable and embrace the fact that, yes, we are surrounded and we can attack in any direction we choose? First thing I want to show you here from this psalm is that Indeed, David is surrounded. The occasion of this psalm is certainly something that's relevant to life in 2022. We see in verse 6, skip down to verse 6, David says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. He is, in point of fact, surrounded. Well, what's going on here? Well, if you look up to what's called the superscription of the psalm, this is the text preceding verse 1. Do you see that? Now, I'm not talking about if you have an English standard version of the Bible, you see where it says, save me, oh my God. That is the editors of uh, the ESV translation putting that in there, and it is helpful. But the words below that read this way, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. That's the superscription. Now, I want to tell you, that's the first verse in the Hebrew. So, it can be kind of confusing because those words are verse 1 in Hebrew, and in Hebrew, verse 2 is actually our verse 1. Now, we're not going to argue the merits of why this is and all that. I just want to say this locates the situation that David writes in. He's fleeing from Absalom, his son, and this is recorded for us in 2 Samuel 15. So you can read about this in 2 Samuel 15. But David is running from his life from one of his sons who has led a rebellion, a coup against him. And this insurgency is launched against David by Absalom, his son. And David has to run for his life. Have you ever been betrayed by your family? Do you have somebody in your family who's hard to, hard to live with? Maybe some of us are those people. <laughs> Maybe you've been betrayed in a business, a partner has stabbed you in the back, taken money from you, stolen what you've worked hard for. Psalm 3 is for you. To say, in spite of betrayal and hurt, David fleeing for his life, he is still courageous and bold and confident in God's protection and his providence for him. So the first thing David does here, he is surrounded. I've shared the occasion for this psalm, which comes from 2 Samuel 15. And what we see here in verses 1 and 2, David gets honest with God. He's honest with God. So if we're going to recapture this kind of courage we ought to have as Christians, we got to get honest with God. 
Look what David says here. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Verse 1. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So David is relating to God. Here's what's happening here. Now, does God know already what's happening? Sure, but this is one of the ways David takes his emotional state to the Lord that the Lord would temper his emotions, that the Lord would guide and lead him, that the Lord would answer him when he calls. To get honest with God, especially with our emotions, to bring our emotions to God and say, Lord, would you do something to bring our outrage to God? Look at what's happening in the world, Lord. Do something. That's what David's praying here. We see in verse 2 that the wicked, who are those who deny God, what they are saying of my soul. So this is very personal. The most personal part of you is your soul. And what are the wicked saying to David's soul? There is no salvation for him and God. We're coming for you, and even God can't help you. That's what they're saying. It doesn't get any scarier than that. That this is his situation. They are coming for him and they are saying that there is no help for him in God. And yet this is where spiritual growth happens. Taking our situation to God, being honest with him, and knowing that if we have a God who can help us, and that's what the rest of the psalm here demonstrates. If we have a God who can help us, even though we're surrounded, we can ask him for help. We can be confident in him. And so the first thing David does here is he traffics in reality. He doesn't say, well, it could be a lot worse than this. It could always be worse. He doesn't say those kinds of trite phrases that people say. He brings his situation to God, and now God will answer and we see in verse 3 the contrast here between verses 1 and 2. How does God help him? How is God going to answer and help? First thing God does is he protects. That's in verses 3 and 4. God protects. So God protects, verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. So here's the thing. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation. There's no help for him in God. And then verse 3, but you, O oh God, are a shield about me. God is a shield, our protector. Well, what do we mean by that? We mean that he protects us in this life, sure, but definitely in the next life. That if your life is hidden with Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, then the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus saves you. And being saved means that even if physically we die, God keeps us because he keeps our soul. Remember, we just sang these words here from Lord from sorrows deep I call, which is Psalm 42. We just sung these words. Verse 3, should me, verse 3 of the song. Should my life be torn from me? 
every worldly pleasure when all I possess is grief for the Christian? God be then my treasure. We don't need to fear those who can assault and harm our bodies because we know the one who keeps our soul safe. So God protects. He is our shield. He is the one And what does a shield do? It intercedes between the harm and the shield bearer, and God bears the shield for us. The harm that was due to us for sin fell on Christ instead of us. He is our shield. But you, O Lord, are shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So you can think for a moment that our dignity comes from God. If our life is hidden in Christ, our identity is with Him. And therefore, how things go in this life, it's not ultimate because God is our glory and He is the one who lifts our head. Verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. So already David knows and forecasts the answer to the prayer that he's praying. Has he been saved yet? No. This was written, go back to the superscription, when he fled. So he is fleeing for his life, and yet he's writing in past tense here. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And the holy hill, of course, when you're in a battle, you want to be in the elevated position, don't you? You want to be on top of the hill shooting down. And this is an image that God is powerful and able to come to our aid and to save us and to overwhelm and destroy the wicked and our enemies. We've already seen that if you read Psalm 2. We read in Psalm 2, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So what do we have? We have the most powerful people on earth rising up against God in Psalm 2, 2. And, and what does God do in the face of this? Look at Psalm 2.4. He who sits in heaven, what? Laughs. He chuckles. The most fearsome enemies in all of earth uniting against God. And what is God's response? Psalm 2.4. Laughing. You think he is intimidated? Do we really think the God who created and set this world up and saves us from our sin and defeats death, do we really think he is intimidated by the forces of darkness and evil that we face? He laughs. God is able and he will answer you. He will answer, not according to your way or my way, but according to his way. And he will come to assist us from the holy hill, from, and David here, probably a reference here to the temple in Jerusalem, which is set on a hill, God's very presence and dwelling, that temple, his presence with his people, God will come to our aid from his fortified position. You see the word Selah there. It's the second time we've encountered it here in this psalm. We don't know exactly what that 
word means. It could be a musical rest or some kind of notation like that. It is maybe a pause because you see verses 1 and 2 set forth uh, the problem. And then we pause, and then now we see the answer with God's protection. So we get honest with God in the face of these enemies and problems. The Lord protects us. Then let's look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord sustains us. The Lord sustains us. Now, verse 5 is probably the key verse of this psalm. And I'm going to show you how really the truths that precede verse 5 flow into it, and then they flow out of verse 5. And we read there, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now, hold on. Hold on a minute. He's surrounded. Verse 6, many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around He's fleeing for his life from this insurgency his son started. This is the ultimate betrayal, a family betrayal. He's, uh, his life is at risk, and what's he doing? I'm going to take a nap. To lay down is to be in a vulnerable position. To sleep, when you go to sleep, you are oblivious to everything happening around you and the world around you. You're defenseless, and so at this moment of greatest fear and consternation, when fear, anxiety, and worry would be at its highest, what's David doing? Laying down and sleeping. He's at peace. Why is that? One reason. Is it because he's surrounded by his mighty men? Is it because David is a capable warrior? After all, he defeated Goliath. Is he at peace because he knows he can handle a sword? No. For the Lord sustained me. Well, what does that mean? For the Lord to sustain means he is our ally. It means support and help come to us from God. It means he is the one. It's his strength. His steadfastness that enable us to fight the battles that we must fight. He is the ally above all allies, and he, because he is on our side, especially through Jesus Christ, we can lay down and sleep. We know God's got this. He sustains us. You heard read earlier for our assurance of grace, Psalm 55, this is something that uh, we return to in Psalm 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will what? Sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You know, that's an image there that if you cast your burden on the Lord, he can handle it. He will sustain you. And part of being sustained means he will never permit the righteous to be moved. It means you and I, in the face of fear and opposition and everything we've got against us and surrounding us, we aren't going to be shaking in our boots. He will sustain us by his grace, his love, his providence, his organizing of all our activities all around. 
He will protect us. He will sustain us. Even in the situation that David is in verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. Now, you may have a difficult person in your life, or, or you may be that difficult person, as I mentioned earlier. But you and I, even though we have maybe a few enemies out there, we don't have thousands of them. David did. And he's saying here, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. You see how the psalm points to the Lord's sustaining. It's because God sustains that David can lay down and sleep. And it's because God sustains that he won't be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around. The Lord's sustaining power and providence is what enables David here not to fear. He is in a very scary situation, but he is not worried or anxious because he knows a God who sustains him. And so we can be honest about our situation with God and know that he will protect us he will sustain us, but as well, I want to show you here at the end of the psalm, the Lord blesses his people. Look here in verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. So this is a prayer. This is a prayer that David prays, and he says, Arise, O Lord. And notice here that the prayer corresponds to his situation. The prayer there in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, it, it corresponds back to verse 1. Who's, who's arising in verse 1? His foes. The wicked are rising. And so what does David say? You arise, O God. You know, so many of our prayers as Christians, they sink to this low level. Rather than, rather than uh, following here the pattern of David, he sees the wicked rising. So what does he do? He says, arise, O God. What do we typically pray for? What are the, the chicken, when we, when we go full chicken little, what are we praying for? Lord, make me comfortable. Make me healthy. Make me wealthy and give me time to enjoy those things. That is not the kind of wartime praying we need to do as believers. Sure, those are good things to, to pray for, but notice the correspondence. Many are rising against me, there in verse 1, so you arise, O God. Do you pray for God to rise up in this wicked generation right here in 2022, where that which God forbids is celebrated in our culture, and if you don't agree with it, you're persecuted, are we praying, arise, O Lord, come to our aid, help us, and may the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus Christ cover this earth like the water covers the seas. Are we praying that way? Arise, O Lord. And then what does he pray? Save me, there in verse 7, save me, oh my God. What is he told by the wicked? Go back to verse 2. There is no salvation for him in God. 
That's what the wicked whisper. God, even God isn't going to help you. So what's David say? God, help me. You be my salvation. And how does God come to his aid? Look at verse 7. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. So here we have in verse 7, notice how active the Lord is. Arise, save, strike, break. The Lord is coming. And isn't this a wonderful, politically incorrect verse? We have emasculated God, we have domesticated God, we have made God politically correct. He is the God who will speedily come to the aid of his people, and he will visit the wicked with blows, striking the enemy on the cheek, striking hard enough to break teeth. This is how much, it's an expression, and we lose this if we domesticate God or we make God politically correct. We lose the fact that he comes like a mama bear protecting his cubs. Her cubs, excuse me. You break the teeth of the wicked. If you have really been sinned against and wronged in this world, what a great comfort it is to know that God will protect. And so, he will come to our aid. And look at this in verse 8. Here's the conclusion. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember, the wicked were saying, there's no salvation for him in God. They have no right to say that, David is saying, because salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one who executes salvation, his plan of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he sovereignly gives it to those who trust in him. And by so doing, your blessing be on your people. Isn't it a blessing? To know that even though we're surrounded by the powers and the principalities of this world and the the circle is maybe shrinking and the ability of us just to agree on what is a standard ethical morality in our culture, to know we are still blessed as God's people. It didn't change over the thousands of years when this was written, that even if we have people chasing us to kill us, God is still our protector. And we can still be confident in his protection. You know, on college campuses these days, one of the popular things to do is to create a safe space. To create a safe space. Uh, And and a safe space is defined this way. It's a place where no one will be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. That's the definition of a safe space. So we're going to have a place where none of these things are going to exist. Now, I think the uh, motivation behind that is certainly good. I mean, we don't want to be criticized or discriminated against, and and the motivation behind creating a safe space is good. But sin is pernicious, isn't it? 
And as long as sinners are present, then there is no safe space. As long as sinners populate the safe space, discrimination, criticism, harassment, emotional and physical harm is going to somehow penetrate that safe space. And what I'm getting at here is we cannot manufacture, in spite of our best efforts, a safe space. Only God can give us safety. Only He is the one who is powerful enough to make us safe. We are surrounded, but God is with us. Do we forget that Jesus said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? Is that not victory enough for us? His victory was won at the cross in the empty tomb. He is our safe space. And we can come to him, we can come to him honestly, like David does here in verses 1 and 2, and we can tell him, about our situation, and he meets us there with his protection, his sustaining power, and his blessing. Let us have done with chicken little Christianity, and let us embrace the boldness that comes from knowing a God like this. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for the safe space you give us. And we pray that together as your people, we would boldly inhabit that safe space. That we together would know with confidence the glory of what it is to be called a Christian. Remind us that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Remind us that people are not our enemies. And help us as we proclaim the gospel, to have absolute confidence that you will protect and take care of us. And if not in this life, then certainly in the next life. Thank you for the good news of the gospel, which makes it so. In Christ's name, amen. Take a moment and let's prepare to meet together at the table.